Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Risk Management in the Pandemic, Key Learnings about Capacity, Resilience, and OSH Leadership, sponsored by Intellects. My name is Kevin Drewley. I am an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I wanna go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of this webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey that will appear on a separate screen. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. You may also receive a link in a post-event email. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Pam Woloski and Aaron Davis. Pam is a CSP and a Senior Program Director for Specialty Technical Consultants Incorporated. Her work involves conducting management system assessments and developing risk management programs. Pam serves as an adjunct faculty member in the Indiana University of Pennsylvania Safety Sciences Program and is a seasoned general session presenter at major OSH organizational conferences, as well as state safety conferences and company safety meetings. Aaron is Senior Product Market Manager at Intellects. He brings more than 15 years of product and marketing experience in technology industries, focusing on bringing value throughout the customer journey while advocating for innovative solutions to organizational challenges. Again, we thank all of you for being here today. Pam, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, just again, thanks to the National Safety Council and Safety and Health Magazine for putting this together and looking forward to working with my uh, new colleagues at Intellex. I'm going to put my camera off while I do my part of the presentation. Uh, I just find it less uh, distracting uh, to myself when I'm talking and uh, not having to worry about looking at my face, but I'll put it back on again uh, when I'm finished. So you're seeing now a little bit of what we're going to cover today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about risk management and how that impacts uh, pandemic response along two key areas of leadership commitment and uh, worker engagement. We'll explore a little bit about capacity and resilience and what uh, organizations who uh, have those attributes, what that does for them. Then we'll talk a little bit about yourself as an occupational safety and health professional and your role, uh, both before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic, and what lessons you may be learning and how you can shift uh, your organization as we begin to move uh, to the end of the first year of this pandemic response. Uh, Aaron's gonna take over at that point and talk about technology uh, as it relates to risk and risk management. So I, I do wanna um, just sort of mention that we're gonna look at risk from three basic parameters. The first is um, uh, approach to risk. The second is again, system capacity and resilience. And the third one is uh, leadership model. So as we talk and as I present some of my thoughts and some information, I would encourage you to think about um, what did you think about your organization before the pandemic along these parameters? Um, and what do you think about your organization now? Uh, did your evaluation of your organization line up with the way your organization actually uh, managed itself through the beginning stages of the pandemic this first year? Or was it a little bit off? Your understanding of these three parameters uh, really impacts your ability to be uh, leveraging your organization and making the most out of um, the platform that you have as an occupational safety and health professional. I want to just spend a minute or two going through three quick terms, a little bit of a primer on risk management. Um, again, risk management at its very core is how your organization, uh, what it does to direct and control its risk. 
whatever its risk is. And again, risk is risk. Here we tend to talk about occupational health and safety risk, uh, but your organization is managing all kinds of risk uh, beyond that which might be on your day-to-day uh, -day plate. Um, risk attitude and risk tolerance are ways in which an organization addresses risk. Uh, the attitude is how it approaches it and whether it assesses it uh, and how it assesses it, how it pursues, retains it, takes on risk, turns away from risk. And risk tolerance is how your organization bears the risk after treatment is completed in order to achieve objectives. So we'll, we'll explore these concepts a little bit further as we go through uh, some of this presentation, but I just wanted to level set everybody with those uh, three concepts uh, because they are important to some of what we're going to talk about. An organization with a risk management system, um, in my opinion, is at a distinct advantage in times of crisis. So whether your organization subscribes to a particular uh, risk management uh, process through ANSI or, and the ASSP standard or the ISO standard, or whether you have your own variation of how you manage risk, the, uh, the system that you uh, have in place is uh, part of its responsibility or its goal is not to just manage the day-to-day -day risks that you typically come across as you operate, uh, but also to detect emerging risks. That's a big part of the value of risk management. And using that ability to detect those emerging risks and work on reducing the uncertainty caused by those risks. So it, at its very core, a risk management system provides for a method for responding to emerging risks and or crises as a normal business operation using existing processes. So the proactive nature of risk management, the way it's set up and the system is designed to manage a crisis. You don't have to develop a crisis uh, management plan. You don't have to uh, implement uh, a crisis management plan because part of risk management is to already have those pieces and processes in place. So think about your organization and how it has or doesn't have a formal uh, risk management system and what it provided for your organization or what your organization lacked as we began to enter into the height of the pandemic uh, just about a year ago uh, as we speak. I think literally just yesterday or the day before uh, was the anniversary, one year anniversary of the first confirmed case, not the first fatality. McKinsey and Company is an excellent organization for sort of tracking and targeting and paying attention to what's happening in the world of business. Um, and they got a great article out in March, which is where the quote that you see comes from. Um, and, and again, it sort of plays into the concepts of risk management and the value of a risk management system. Uh, a risk management system manages threats, identifies opportunities for sustainability and growth. And what McKinsey was saying back in March as they were talking about, uh, the article was uh, about the long path back to normal, um, was that a crisis or any crisis, if you will, uh, reveals the vulnerabilities of your organization, but it also provides the opportunities for your organization to improve its performance. And I would suggest to you that an organization that has a sound risk management system is much better positioned to address vulnerabilities and take advantage of opportunities. So what I've been saying all along is within this pandemic is that there are organizations who are surviving the pandemic and there are organizations who are thriving in the pandemic. So the question to ask yourself is which of those two organizations uh, types of responses best represents your organization? Your organization's approach to risk is also something that you can be thinking about. And as I said at the beginning, what did you think about your organization's approach to risk before the pandemic? And what do you think now? And how do those views line up? Organizations that tend to be more risk tolerant, as we mentioned, have better systems in place to respond to a crisis and are better able to manage a crisis when it occurs even something as substantial and significant and global as the COVID-19 pandemic, which is a crisis on steroids, uh, to say the least. A risk-averse organization is more likely to retract during a crisis and wait for it to pass. Now, that wasn't possible in the COVID-19 pandemic because of the spectacular uh, nature of this particular pandemic. But perhaps in the early stages, the first months of uh, the pandemic, your organization was retracting. 
think about some other more tactical aspects of risk management. Um, think about your processes and procedures that are in place. And within that is a continuum from a formal uh, a process for everything and every process has to be followed uh, to more of a lax way of addressing things where we have a framework of expectations and we provide for opportunities for the organizational structure to bend and stretch almost like a rubber band. Your response framework, are you agile and adaptive before the pandemic? And how well did that suit you during the pandemic? Or are you bureaucratic and complex? And how did that suit you during the pandemic? I think along the continuum of your response framework, those organizations who are more complex and more bureaucratic probably struggled more than others in order to address that. Let's shift over a little bit to one of the key aspects of uh, risk management, which is worker or stakeholder engagement. Todd Conklin, uh, big fan here. If you've never heard of him, if you're not familiar with him, uh, please do yourself a favor and do a little bit of research into Todd Conklin. Uh, if you're a podcast person, he does the pre-accident investigation podcast. Uh, he's very much engaged in HOP or human and organizational performance. And he has some things that he's kind of put out there that just really have always resonated with me. And two of them are appearing on your slide right now, on your screen right now. Safety is not the absence of accidents. Although we tend to think it is, we tend to measure it that way. It's the presence of capacity. And when we think about our workers, do we see them as problems to be fixed or solutions to be harnessed? And that is, a, that is a way for you to sort of think about how your organization engages its workers. Does it engage them as children who have to be told what to do? Or does it engage your workers as people who are uh, partners in the success of your organization? So think about how did your organization treat your workers? and other stakeholders before the pandemic? And then how are you treating them now? And we'll talk later about how you might try to change how you treat them in the future if perhaps the way you're treating them now isn't the best. Some clues that give you an answer to that, thinking about your organization's values. Uh, if you have a fundamental value uh, that you care for your shareholders rather than your stakeholders, or whether you care for your shareholders and your stakeholders. In other words, is your organization about making money for the stakeholders, shareholders, or is it about the needs of the stakeholders, or are those balanced? And the concept of stakeholder primacy is one that I've been hearing a lot about lately, even before the pandemic, which is the idea that human capital, the people who work for us, are the foundation of our organization. And if we don't treat them with respect and engage them, um, that really says a lot about the organization's values. So when you think about how you engage your workforce as an organization, do you provide them the freedom and trust to find new ways to work? And if you do, if that is sort of the framework or the way in which your organization operates, can you see how that kind of, of, of way of treating workers and engaging workers provided for a much more uh, appropriate response to the pandemic because we all had to find new ways to work. Everything changed uh, over the past year. And an organization that has the ability to engage workers and give them that freedom to find new ways to work uh, allows those workers to uh, help lead the organization out of the crisis. Talk for a few minutes about leadership and leadership in your organization. And, and again, on the continuum, you have consensus building leaders and sort of more autocratic leaders who gather information and make decisions more top-down types of leaders. Um, as a style, both of those, I think, are important in an organization. But you could make the argument that a leader who is a little bit more autocratic and decision-making maybe had a better go of it during the pandemic because of the need to move quickly and make quick decisions as opposed to a consensus building leader and the time that it takes to get decisions, which we may not have had. I think probably the best leaders, and think about yours for a minute, are those who are able to switch back and forth between those styles. Maybe they have a predominant style, but at the end of the day, they're able to use the style that works best for the situation. We didn't have traditional data. We didn't have traditional metrics. How did your organization's leaders make decisions? How did you help them to make decisions? 
the kinds of operational uh, attributes that we might rely on on a day-to-day -day basis, production quotas or uh, quality metrics or things like that, uh, we may not have had access to those or we may not have, time, have had time to pay attention to those. And that really impacts your organization's leaders. This is really key for me when I think about leaders and I think about their messages and how they communicate. So during the pandemic, uh, what kind of messages did your leaders develop and share with your workforce or with your organization? Were they positive messages that were based in reality or were they a traditional Eeyore, uh, everything's terrible and life is awful and I just don't know how we're gonna get through this? Did they communicate a shared sense of vulnerability and a sense of hope? What does your workforce, how does your workforce respond to those different kinds of messages? What does it make them want to do when they feel like uh, the world is ending at home and the world is ending at work and there's just no hope? So what culture can you create when you're not together? when we're all working from home and we're all Zooming all day long, although for some of you, I'm sure you're essential organizations and perhaps you never shut down and have continued to go to work day in and day out. Think about your organization's actions and the, the actions of your leaders. So an organization that is more risk averse is going to terminate people, lay people off, stand down, back up. An organization that is a little bit more risk tolerant is going to innovate and retrofit. Think of all the stories that were out there in this past year about organizations who went from manufacturing wid widgets to manufacturing ventilators in the space of six weeks because we needed ventilators. And the leaders of the organization said, we're gonna figure out how to make ventilators because that's what we need to do. And that's how we can thrive as an organization. How does your organization preserve those relationships with your workers? There was a really great article in Professional Safety Journal in May of 2019 by uh, Robert Pater and Anil Mathur, uh, um, and they talked about emotionally mature leaders in uncertain times. Um, and some of the aspects of that article that I thought really resonated when I read it, and then I pulled it back out and read it again because it seemed to be really relevant to what we're dealing with now, uh, is the idea of focusing on the North Star and um, how we cultivate trust and boost self-control uh, and change mindsets. Um, and I just realized as I'm talking and, and having this great time talking about all these things, we had a couple of poll questions that I had set in to have uh, discussed at this point, and I forgot to do the first one. We're a little too far down the road to go ahead and pull it up. But if we could pull up that second poll question now, I, I apologize for uh, uh, getting really excited. And uh, if you could go ahead and launch that uh, second poll question, we'll take a look at it. So there you go. Uh, talking about the messages that your leaders delivered. Let's, let's see what you saw uh, about your uh, about your leaders and the messages they delivered. We just talked about uh, Eeyore and uh, sense of vulnerability and shared, uh, shared uh, work together during these times. So we'll give you about another 10 or 15 seconds. There's a lot of people on the call today. Uh, and so we wanna get as many people have a chance to do this as possible. So I'm gonna be quiet for about five seconds and then we're gonna go ahead and close it up. So make sure you vote. Okay, last call, three, two, one. Let's close that poll. Okay, so it uh, looks like, whoops. I saw the results and they, there they are, they're back again. So uh, good positive messages in, in just slightly over half of you, uh, which is great. I really like seeing that. About 40% of you were, were more neutral and uh, information sharing. Um, and it looks like most of you had some good uh, messaging uh, in your organization. So you can go ahead and close that out and we'll move on to the next slide. Let's talk about capacity and resilience for a few minutes. And we've addressed some of these themes already, but I just kind of wanted to bring them together in a, a little bit of a, an additional discussion. So capacity is the ability to be successful in varying conditions. So an organization with good capacity is able to be successful in varying con conditions like a pandemic. Organizations with deep capacity tend to be less deferent to rules. They're more support for problem solving. And we've talked about some of those worker engagement themes already. So I think that's kind of part of what we've been talking about. 
Um, and resilience, an organization's resilience uh, is a measure of how quickly it recovers from a crisis. So both capacity and resilience are frameworks by which you can evaluate your organization as you think about how it did in the pandemic as opposed to uh, how it did before the pandemic. And as we get to the end of this presentation, how we'll talk about moving out of the pandemic. I believe that human beings, your workforce, or just human beings in general, we're designed to operate in uncertainty uh, and the risk associated with operating in uncertainty. But we do best is as humans, if we can take advantage of new information and adapt. And so capacity and resilience in an organization are built and strengthened during adversity. If the organization has the systems and the framework and the engagement strategies and the leadership capabilities to allow that to happen. And so think about your organization and how your uh, workforce and how your stakeholders addressed all of the things that we've had to deal with in the past couple of years. Did you build on your capacity and resilience? Did you strengthen them? Or uh, was, was it so missing that you were really uh, struggling uh, in order to make that happen? So I want to talk just a couple more minutes about the future before I turn it over to my uh, uh, co-presenter um, and just talk a little bit about what we might be looking at as we begin to think about, we're not there yet, but as we begin to think about a post-pandemic world. And I have it, tried really hard to stop saying normal or get back to normal uh, because I, I, you know, obviously we're never going to get there. We are a different uh, world of work right now. So risk averse organizations are going to be pushing or have already started to push to get back to normal operations. The organization wants to get out of that vulnerable position. It's more likely to put in new or more rules or procedures to expand on the rules and procedures just to kind of try to get control out of that vulnerable position. Whereas a risk tolerant organization uh, is going to be um, understanding that uh, its tolerance for that increased exposure to risk is going to bring new hazards to control. And that's just part of a risk management system, which is that circular plan, do, check, act. So as we change our risk and our risk profile, we address different kinds of risk. We're constantly addressing those new hazards. We're constantly treating those new hazards. And we understand and appreciate as an organization that our innovative approach and our innovative operations are going to change the way we do things. But that's quote unquote normal. That's the way we are as an organization. So which of those two are you? Which of those two have you started to see happening uh, within your organization now? So again, let's return to that uh, the, the concept of com communication with your stakeholders and, and the idea that you demonstrated compassion, that you were open to collaboration uh, and the kinds of messages that were out there. And, and the last bullet point I, I would really ask you as you begin to think about what happens over the next three, six, and even 12 months, think about your messages. Uh, again, what did you say? What did uh, was in your messaging either verbally or in Zoom calls or phone calls or emails or things that you did? And reflect on those messages in terms of your demonstration of the support for your workers, your willingness to engage them and to give them the freedom and ability to adapt, your messages about a shared sense of vulnerability and hope for the future. And again, back to that idea of human capital. Uh, as an organization, uh, you want to make sure that as the future unfolds, uh, we begin to expand on and deepen our appreciation for the workforces. They got us through this crisis in many organizations are still flourishing or surviving because of the workforce that got up every day and dealt with the things that they had to deal with and came to work and, and did what needed to be done. So at the core, your organization's value has to be about keeping them healthy and keeping them productive uh, for the foreseeable future. <clears throat> so um, thinking about building and growing your organization's capacity, um, how does your organization learn from itself? How does your organization learn from what it just went through? One of the things you can certainly do is gather those stories that you've been hearing at the ground level from people day in and day out 
uh, your workforce and share those stories with your leadership. Uh, put them together in some sort of a narrative framework. Um, this is how we coped with the pandemic. These are the things that we did. Um, and begin to preserve that legacy of the successes of your organization and how it learned. How did you cope and how did you improve? As your organization begins to go back to pre-pandemic operations and you want to help build an organization that is more uh, resilient and better capacity and a little bit more of that stakeholder primacy, uh, you should be advocating for less rules. You should be advocating for rules that don't need to be put back in place or that can be eliminated altogether. And if there are new processes and programs that need to be developed, trying to make them a little bit more leaner encouraging decentralized decision-making um, and this concept of learning teams you may have heard about. It's been uh, a little bit uh, up and coming these days. Uh, instead of work teams or operational teams or process teams, uh, the concept of a learning team, which is based upon everybody who's part of a particular uh, process or organization working together to adapt and collaborate. And organizations with good learning teams, again, are those ones that demonstrate really strong capacity and resilience and worker engagement. Um, so we have the third of the three polls and actually the second one. So I'd like to go ahead and launch that last poll uh, as we begin to get ready to um, uh, close out my part of this particular presentation. So let's launch poll number three. Um, and as we begin to work past the post pandemic world, um, what do you think? How do you think your organization is going to end up? What, what's your uh, crystal ball telling you about your organization based upon some of the capacity, resilience, engagement things that we've been talking about? So give yourself a couple of uh, more seconds to uh, review that and take a look and see what you think. And I'm going to be quiet for a few seconds. Okay, I'm going to give you three more seconds to fill out your answer. Three, two, one, let's close that poll and let's see what you thought. Good, well, um, I was hoping to see more of answer number three, um, but I'm happy to see that most of the organizations aren't anticipating going back to the way you were before. And I like to see that you're being a little bit more flexible, creative and willing to harness the resource. And so some of the things that we've talked about uh, in the presentation so far in the last couple of comments that I have to close us out are things that may help you push your organization from answer number two to answer number three. So let's move on to, um, you can go ahead and close that poll. So I'm hoping I don't have to say that you shouldn't say I told you so, uh, but you want to be very, very careful of that. If you're an occupational safety and health leader or you're an aspiring leader within your organization, again, um, your push to go back to the old normal as soon as possible, as opposed to your willingness to uh, push your organization to consider this new normal. Finding those stories that demonstrate how what you're doing now is better than what you were doing before the pandemic. How can you demonstrate that in your conversations uh, as an occupational safety and health leader? And then the last couple things that I just wanted to say before I close out um, is really as a, as a leader, uh, understanding how work is really done at the ground level. You know, the concept of worker engagement is we develop a procedure and we uh, have a 20 page procedure on how a particular task is supposed to be done. And so there is work as imagined, which is the procedure. And then there is work as done, which is how it really gets done on the ground floor. Those adaptations that your workers make to procedures to make it work. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we punish workers for those adaptations, but that drift from procedure is a really good adaptation and can be very positive. Uh, being open to engagement and worker control and crafting messages that show your support for their efforts. Then the last thing that I'll leave you with is sometimes your leaders don't know what to ask workers that will help them be more engaged. Um, and so maybe they ask them about last night's football game or, uh, you know, did you enjoy the, the worker picnic that we had a couple of months ago? So maybe helping craft some questions that your leaders can ask that allow them to learn a little bit more about what's happening on the ground level and what's happening within your organization. 
Uh, and that will really go a long way to helping uh, begin to develop those uh, collaborative approaches between leaders and workers. So I'm going to stop talking, put my camera back on, and I'm going to turn it over to Aaron and move on to his first slide. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Pam, uh, for those great insights and learnings. And, uh, and welcome, everyone. I'd just like to say a quick thank you to uh, the National Safety Council and the team at Safety and Health uh, for putting this session on today and for, uh, for having us uh, speak uh, about this very important topic. So just to kick off here, you know, 2020 was a year like no other. I think we can all agree that um, we're glad to see it in the rear view, but it has reminded us a few things about the nature of risk in our own organizations. You know, we've had to deal with a number of incredible challenges and disruptions in the past 12 months, from lockdowns and public health measures uh, that have isolated workers and accelerated the shift to different ways of working across many industries, uh, to the front lines where we've had to carry on business as usual. And those operations have really been staffed by, you know, the, the, the heroics of the frontline workers who've had to adjust to, dis, uh, you know, the disruption in their working conditions, facility adjustments, and the implementation of different protocols and processes uh, to keep them safe. Um, and, and particularly added stress from, um, from that whole new way of working. For occupational health and safety managers, it was, you know, it was important to utilize new ways of communication with our front lines and enact new health and safety processes and protocols uh, to ensure worker safety and manage those, those emerging risks. And, and for leadership, you know, acting fast, engaging often, using the latest data from public health, uh, from operational and human resources, and, um, and exposure data as well, to make those quick decisions against uh, what was seen as the uncertainties of a, of a rapidly evolving situation. So what have we learned uh, from the events of 2020? Well, first, safety is at the very core of, of business continuity. You know, prior to the pandemic, not many outside of the health and safety world knew what PPE meant. Uh, now, my, my nine-year-old daughter can tell you uh, in, in detail what PPE is and how it protects you. Organizations had to rapidly activate business continuity plans, and many were really unprepared for the level of change management that was necessary to introduce some of the new procedures and protocols uh, to defend against ri the risks that we did not fully understand yet. And worker safety was suddenly the highest of priorities as organizations realized the need to keep businesses up and running amidst an environment of heightened risk. Which leads to the second learning, and that is, you know, risk doesn't always behave like you expect it to. This backdrop of uncertainty continues to influence how we manage risk, and it's really reminded us that risk isn't a predictable entity. You know, our management strategies need to adapt and, and, uh, and to be resilient to account for the dynamic nature uh, of risk across our health and safety programs. And answering questions like, how do we deal with the risks that we don't fully understand yet has become a critical part of risk management and, and business continuity planning. And really the third learning here is uncertainty, you know, it's the new normal. In order to manage this uncertainty better rather than avoid it, we really have to embrace it. You know, we, we need to learn uh, to lean into risk and unlearn old ways of working and experiment with new ones. You know, we need to be agile, drive new thinking, and only by daring to, you know, lean in a little bit can we seize the opportunities that are, are born from some of these uncertainties. And this approach of, and way of thinking about uncertainty has really accelerated the adoption of new technology in our workplaces uh, to manage risk in, in, in a multitude of new ways, as, as we'll explore a bit later. So throughout this, you know, we've seen a digital transformation accelerate from years uh, to months to ensure business continuity, to manage risk and support working in new ways. And it's really accelerating this new risk approach, um, moving not only from reactive to proactive, but beyond to predictive and prescriptive. You know, in the reactive world, obviously very response-based, you know, we, we were learning, we've learned to respond to events that have already happened. You know, we've evaluated an accident, for example, an incident after it occurred, you know, collected the findings and implemented those countermeasures. In the proactive world, you know, we, we seek to identify the hazardous conditions or, or potentially hazardous conditions uh, through analysis of the organization's processes and, and, and observing often uh, those behaviors in real time. 
as we move forward to the predictive and prescriptive realm, we're really looking at, at taking even more of a proactive approach in analyzing the entire system and process to identify potential risks and future risks. And predictive takes this one step further, you know, in a predictive approach, which is really the holy grail here, it's evaluating the risk data and providing some of the suggested countermeasures or courses of action that can be put in place today to be preventative, to prevent future risks based on data available. So the technology is really moving us from left to right in, in this risk approach. So with change comes opportunity. And when it comes to technology and its impact on managing risk, it can be helpful to focus on these three key areas. The first is integrated risk management, You know, moving from a siloed to a more integrated approach to managing risk. How can we expand our use of technology to break down information and communication silos in our own businesses, providing greater visibility into risk and uncovering some potential blind spots that may have an impact on how we manage our operations overall? The second area is process excellence, you know, using technology to streamline processes and workflows and build that additional resiliency and agility that we need at the process level to minimize risk and drive efficiency across our operations. And thirdly, it's business continuity management. And you know, how do we use technologies to improve risk identification, analysis, and evaluation that really at the core of BCM to build a better and more resilient business continuity posture within our own businesses? So drilling down for a moment on risk management, we really have an opportunity to move to a more integrated model. And so what do we mean by integrated risk management? Well, it's an approach made up of the following six components. Firstly, it enables strategy-based decision-making, you know, using the real-time data and insights to help make better strategic operational and, and also in investment decisions with risk in mind. IRM also provides a better understanding of leading and lagging risk indicators by data enabling more of the operating environment to create better assessments of the current state and, and also to predict future conditions. Another big part is reducing blind spots from all of these different silos within your organization, creating insights by bringing together the data in these siloed systems and making sense of, of that data in combination. It also sets the foundation for a better business continuity uh, plan by being able to process data and share insights among the teams uh, more quicker. And it provides visibility beyond internal systems. And an example here from COVID was the detection of risks in the larger supply chain, for example, um, four, four or five layers deep uh, within your supply chain that may have impacts on the safe operation of our organizations. So if we switch gears for a moment and think about where technology is going to have an impact in managing risk and enable this new integrated approach, it's really gonna come down to three key areas. So let's take a quick look at each. The first area is really risk detection. How can we improve the identification of potential risks by detecting hazards in real time using new technologies to observe, uh, observe events and record data? The second is risk assessment. How do we now, how do we take all of this data and all this large volume of data and analyze it and assess it and, and look at it to assess the likelihood of risk and impact to, to our operations? And thirdly, it's the response mechanism. Using all of this data and, and insights derived from the data, how do we make more intelligent risk decisions and take actions, you know, whether to accept the risk, to mitigate it, or increasingly to prevent and eliminating risk altogether uh, throughout our operations. So technology is impacting the approach to risk at each level of the hierarchy. Uh, it's also moving us up the risk control stack. You know, if we think about PPE, for example, connected PPE, increasingly ensuring workers are safe, uh, alerting when something, alerting uh, the management when something goes wrong, uh, providing a faster response to wor workers on the front lines. If we look at administrative controls, you know, software-enabled workflows, sensors, and wearables are really changing the way people work, changing those behave behaviors uh, to be safer. And then at the highest levels of the stack of uh, substitution and elimination, you know, uh, technologies like drones and not and some of the new autonomous hardware that's coming to market. These are these are solutions that are completely eliminating the need for humans to do this highest uh, uh, highest risk work. So it's very exciting, and it, but it does come with its own challenges as we'll discuss. 
So digital enablement is really changing the approach to managing risks. We hear a lot about the concept of connected safety, but you know what, what, what exactly is connected safety? Well, one of our partners, ERM, has described it very elegantly and succinctly as a human-centered, digitally-enabled approach to improve safety performance. So let's break that down a bit. From the human-centered angle, it's really about technologies and solutions designed from a perspective of human needs and experiences rather than us uh, from a perspective of compliance. Digitally enabled really uh, kind of means that the digital solutions that enable better safety outcomes for workers, teams, and entire uh, organizations really use that data as a core uh, to, make those, to, to, to make those better decisions. So broadly connected safety consists of three categories of connected uh, platforms. You know, you have the connected worker, and those are some of the technologies that enable frontline workers and in industries with uh, real-time data to be more productive, efficient, and reduce risk in their day-to-day -day work. You have the connected asset, uh, those technologies that provide real-time data on the physical assets in your operations and, and integrate operational technology with, I, uh, with information technology, often referred to as IT and OTIT convergence. And, and these, asset uh, these asset connected asset technologies enable organizations to really streamline the management, accessibility, visibility of equipment, workers, and data uh, with the goal of optimizing uh, through continuous improvement. And then we have connected process as well. Uh, technologies that help connected processes to deal uh, to real-time, connect to real-time operational data uh, for that incremental adjustment and advanced insights. So connected safety is increasingly driving the ability for organizations to develop a better risk picture. You know, an emerging safety and risk management technology uh, fabric is coming together. And this is really the combination of hardware, software, intelligent logic, and management systems to obtain, obtain better risk insights from an ever expo, uh, expanding pool of data. And this data is collected from connected workers, connected facilities, and the like. So really at the hardware level, you've got uh, all these different sensors, connected wearables, connected technologies. Um, they're all cloud connected. Uh, they run through a, a pipeline, uh, a simply a pipeline of data that collects and consolidates all of these different data points from all these different endpoints and, and makes them available for data mining and data science activities that are really gonna be the distillation of this data into uh, uh, more specific insights. Then you have uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. We've heard a lot about that in the last 12 months. This is really where the data is turn into that valuable insight. And this can enable some of the predictive and prescriptive approaches uh, that we were talking about earlier. And you know, with these insights, you can do amazing things. You can alert workers proactively to a risk in their environment, for example, and suggest actions that will reduce that risk and protect their health and safety proactively. You can pinpoint blind spots and identify risks that were previously uh, undetected and eliminate potential hazards in the workplace. You can drive greater insights into operational performance, you know, realizing opportunities for continuous improvement and managing risk along the way. And some of the pre prescriptive analytics to suggest a course of action as well, based on data from the connected ecosystem. So it's a very exciting time for these technologies. So if we look at the um, uh, the technologies uh, in particular. Uh, the first one is really, um, that's exciting is video capture. If we can just, uh, there we go. Sorry about that. The, you know, these technologies are, are, are being employed to, uh, to capture and identify observations, hazards, and uh, uh, potential risks. The second is really wearable technology, and this is using a, a wide variety of uh, existing wearables and emerging technologies um, to, to do things like uh, assessments uh, to, to, to kind of power that situational awareness and instrument workers to better understand and assess potential health and safety risks. For example, what are the effects of long-term uh, repetitive, um, repetitive physical movements, for example? One of the third uh, um, areas of excitement is really big data, analytics, and artificial intelligence. How do we make, again, it's how do we make sense out of all of this data and move from uh, understanding to, to really acting in, in the appropriate manner? So with that, I'm gonna drill down to a few uh, key technologies that we're seeing uh, come online um, in a little bit more detail. 
So the first is video capture technology. And we've seen these solutions accelerate uh, at the beginning of the pandemic for health screening, but then additional use cases uh, began to uh, emerge uh, uh, rapidly after that. So think of your operations in particular, you know, queue management became uh, a, an important issue. Managing the flows of people throughout a facility, for example, uh, to maintain social distancing. Uh, this is where uh, the video capture technology has been uh, has proven impactful for a lot of organizations using it. Another use case is density monitoring, detecting when a capacity threshold within a specific area is breached and sending an alert to a management system. And the third, PPE detection, you know, ensuring that workers are not only wearing the appropriate uh, per personal protective equipment uh, to keep them safe on the job, but also the appropriate um, PPE and even the right manner, uh, to <clears throat> wearing it in the, uh, the proper manner to, to uh, protect against risk of infection. So it's very important. And these devices are becoming increasingly sophisticated. They can capture a broad array of data from motion, temperature, location, environmental conditions. And what's interesting here is not so much the devices, but the platforms that are being created. And these platforms are being integrated with artificial intelligence, for example, to take vast amounts of observational data and distill them down to insights in seconds. This is really a, a powerful capability that we've never had before. And over the coming years, we're gonna see these technologies and use cases evolve to detect a broader array of risks uh, throughout our workplace, for example, in industrial environments that have an increasing degree of automation and robotics, this type of IP surveillance and video capture technology can be employed uh, to manage risk created between the interaction of humans and robots uh, in some of those high velocity workflows like manufacturing and logistics. Uh, it's also gonna be able to detect motions over time that it can, could, um, could, could have long-term impact uh, to workers. You know, Think of activities that create uh, long-term ergonomic issues, for example. So very exciting uh, technology that's gonna have a huge impact uh, uh, over the long-term that has kind of been born out of the, the current crisis. If we move along, uh, let's talk about wearables for a minute. The wearable tech, these technologies are becoming more sophisticated, more present in high-risk environments. And this is really where it gives you additional situational awareness and real-time observational data. And these are critical new tools that are really increasing the ability of organizations to protect their workers. Um, so as wearable technologies continue to mature, so do the use cases. Um, and I'll mention a few of them here. Environmental hazard monitoring, you know, these are wearable sensor-based solutions that detect environmental hazards, most commonly, you know, uh, detecting exposure to different hazards, including chemicals and gases. And these are directly linked now to the EHS management systems for uh, further analysis into industrial hygiene, for example, and in uh, occupational health uh, programs. Uh, you know, gas detection is an obvious example of this use uh, <clears throat> of this technology. But really, in the near future, these technologies are going to evolve. And they're going to detect other environmental hazards as well. Location-based awareness um, with GPS, satellite, cellular, and other technologies. Uh, these technologies are really going to be uh, uh, impactful in accurately pinpointing location of workers um, <clears throat> for the purpose of keeping them directly out of harm's way. And this awareness assists in the coordination of emergency response as well. In the case of loan, um, for example, for loan workers who may be working in very isolated and rem uh, remote locations. And finally, there's motion tracking. These solutions help monitor the motions of workers to predict and prevent uh, common hazards um, and, and, uh, like trips and, and, and falls, but also provide uh, real-time data that assists in preventing injuries from more repetitive motion and, and, and body strain. So really, these technologies can be coupled uh, with some of the other hardware uh, technologies like exoskeletons, for example, uh, to reduce the risk of injury um, in a number of uh, physically demanding jobs. Finally, we have vital sign monitoring, and these solutions are really going to be essential in tracking vital signs uh, to, provide, to provide signals when a worker is fatigued, for example, that might put them at higher risk. We move along to autonomous technologies. This is a really exciting area. And um, this is, you know, when you think of that hierarchy of controls, this is really moving up to the top of the stack, uh, eliminating the risk of certain activities altogether. Uh, we've seen drone inspections, for example, of confined spaces, uh, capturing speci um, uh, specific data points uh, in nuclear energy generating environments, for example. And these technologies are being used in a, a variety of high-risk environments and are completely eliminating some of the risks that are involved. And this example is, you know, as I said, is inspecting a nuclear facility. 
it's really taking the worker out of the equation and, and, and bringing that data back in, in this high-risk environment to analyze. So the most, one of the most important areas is really bringing this all together in, into a management system and, and, and bringing the data together, applying AI and analytics and taking all the observations obtained by the new te uh, detection uh, technologies, such as videos, sensors, wearables, and autonomous hardware, and really bringing that into a platform that can analyze and build sophisticated modeling of risk scenarios um, so that as managers, we can make better decisions. And this technology is really essential to enable the predictive and prescriptive future uh, that we've been hearing about uh, for years, but has, a, has been accelerated as a result of COVID and is becoming more of a reality today. And, th and this big data and analytics piece is really a high value uh, piece of the integrated technology puzzle that will assist us in managing risk by giving us a, a, a bigger uh, or a better, I should say, understanding uh, of the bigger picture. If I wanna move uh, to the next slide, I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, several industries where this technology is already having an impact. Uh, the first industry that I'll highlight is oil and gas. You know, a lot of these connected technologies are really transforming the industry to not only uh, decrease risk, but increase, um, uh, enable greater operational efficiencies, build more proactive and pr predictive uh, safety approaches. Uh, if you think some of the top risks in the oil and gas, you think of falls, you think of combined spaces, ergonomic hazards, you know, this is where things like wearables, uh, connected worker technologies, are having a, a huge impact in, in de-risking some of these operations. If we move to uh, the next slide, we'll talk a little bit about the manufacturing industry. And this is really where connected safety tech is transforming industrial, uh, the, the operations of industrial manufacturers uh, through things like plant monitoring um, uh, and really de-risking the operations and providing inputs for, for, for uh, continuous safety improvement. So here, you know, in a manufacturing environment, you think of, you know, the top risks are, are falls, you know, wearables are protecting workers from those potential hazards in the workplace, you know, preventing them uh, from, some, from some of those uh, injuries. Um, you think of uh, powered industrial equipment and, and logistics equipment, uh, trucks, for example. And this is really where the GPS and geolocation technologies and some of the site awareness uh, solutions are, are coming together to avoid some of those collisions and avoid those risks uh, uh, of, of, of potentially harmful interactions. And the third area is uh, th that we talk about a lot is uh, the construction industry. You know, connected safety tech is really de-risking uh, construction through, um, uh, through a number of different technologies. You think of working from heights, for example, you know, uh, things that you'd have to do uh, at heights can be done by a drone uh, these days. And some of the autonomous technologies that we've mentioned are being used for inspection of some of these uh, large construction projects and improving, uh, de-risking these projects and improving safety outcomes. Uh, you think of falls, trips, and slips. You, there's motion awareness, site awareness technologies that are, that are observing this behavior and, and bringing it back into the management system to be analyzed, to be able to really see where these blind spots occur and to pinpoint them more accurately. And then there's a, you know, uh, environmental monitoring and construction is a big part of this as well. And this is where we have a lot of the hazardous environment monitoring technologies uh, that are going to be picking up uh, not only gas detection, but um, in the future, you'll see a, a lot more capabilities in terms of uh, different environmental um, uh, areas that will be monitored. So those are just three brief areas. Um, you know, I just want to, conscious of time here, I want to make sure we have enough time for questions. Uh, I hope this provided you with some insight into how the technology is going to have, you know, uh, what we think is an increasingly prominent role in shaping how we manage risks as we move beyond COVID and, and into, the, in, into the new normal. And with that, I'm gonna hand it back uh, over to Kevin uh, for Q&A. Well, excellent. Uh, great job, Pam and Aaron. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Uh, before we do start the Q&A, just wanna remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen following this presentation. Your input is important because it'll help us improve future webcasts and we appreciate you taking the extra time to offer feedback. I know we mentioned this at the top of the hour, but just a reminder, if you want to ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question and click the send button. 
Um, you don't have to wait, you know, to, for this prompt. You can ask ask away, and any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers today. So with that, we'll get to uh, get to the questions. Um, this one pertains to shared vulnerability and asks, what are specific examples of messages you recommend to introduce and at what stage? Good question. So uh, I think shared vulnerability is important at all uh, times within an organization, but certainly at times when an organization is under stress from whatever, and of course we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic here, but there are certainly plenty of other times when an organization is under stress. And the idea that as an organization, we're not perfect, we are vulnerable. Uh, we have to identify those vulnerabilities and work together and share how we're going to work our way out of that situation. I think those messages uh, belong all the time. So I think the, the variation of those messages may be a little bit different, but the people who are working for your organization, I think need to hear from your leaders um, that we are working to solve this problem, that we need to work together to solve this problem, whatever it may be. So I, I, my answer to the question is those messages are always helpful. Uh, the higher the level of crisis, I think those messages become a little bit more critical and the frequency may need to pick up just a little bit more. Well, thank you. Uh, next question asks, what are measurements to avoid more threats in a manufacturing organization? Well, um, I would suggest that a risk management system uh, that's in place at operational uh, does the best job at managing the risks and the uncertainties posts by, posted excuse me, by the known risks. And a risk management system has in place processes for detecting emerging risks. <clears throat> now, the pandemic is a little bit of an unusual uh, example because um, you know, we were sort of detecting the risk very early on and then all of a sudden it exploded before we could really uh, address it. But within an organization, if you have a good risk management system, it's already designed to be looking for those things and bringing those emerging risks to the attention of the people who are managing it within the organization. And from there, the standard processes and procedures that your organization uses kick in, which is the risk identification, the risk assessment process, risk treatment, uh, and monitoring and measuring and reporting and all of those kinds of standard operating procedures begin. So a risk management system has processes in place to detect those emerging risks. And that's really the value of that that particular process brings to any organization. Next question uh, asks, it uh, says, we don't use a lot of PPE, but we do use some. How do we decide the right amount of stock to have going forward? Erin, I wonder if some of your uh, technologies help uh, some of uh, the, the work that Intellix does helps with some of that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I can kind of give a generic answer. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, we, we do have a capability, um, and, and um, you know, within the management system uh, to, to track PPE and to, to have a rolling uh, kind of track of how much PPE, uh, have uh, capability on and how to uh, <clears throat> forecasting capability to to anticipate you know when that P how long that PPE is going to last and and those sort of things so you know within this kind of a, a sophisticated EHS management system uh, you'll be able to do some of those uh, some of those things. Well, if you're up for another one, Aaron, this one's addressed uh, specifically to you. It it says, sure. in some instances, can humans become over dependent on tech, reducing the human attention factor? And is this a risk that is considered an application of technologies? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's a great that, that, that's a great question, great comment, and and uh, for sure that uh, humans can be over dependent, you know, and and, and have kind of that uh, false, not false, but that kind of security and saying, well, everything's okay, you know, I have the technology in place, you know, I can. It's really not just the technology, you know. Safety is not about technology. It's it's about the human at the end of the day and, and their behaviors. And I think that's the you know it's important to kind of keep that in mind as you deploy some of these technologies. And and, and really, you know, communication is going to be key there. I believe we've got time for for one more. Um, it asks, with all the challenges being faced by frontline workers, how best do we assess and measure and manage fatigue risk, especially frontline? workers doing safety critical tasks? 
I'll address it from an engagement and then Aaron, maybe you have some technology uh, answers for that one. I mean, I think worker engagement and making it safe to speak up in your organization is really, really critical. And if you have an organization that shows an appreciation for your stakeholders and their contributions and provides for that as a matter of course, I think you find that uh, people will speak up when it's in their best interest to do so. And when they're feeling fatigued or having problems or other issues are going on, they're going to be more willing to bring those questions and concerns and uh, areas of worry to your attention. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. I mean, on one hand, there's the, you know, there's the, there's the, the low fidelity approach, which or the low technology approach, which is encouraging that communication, which is, which, which is the right way to do it. Um, there are, you know, I'm a little bit biased because I do work for a tech company. So it's, you know, there are a number of technologies that we're seeing that are coming on board to, uh, to automatically be able to assess and measure those risks, specifically the wearables and tapping into some of those uh, kind of more non-invasive technologies uh, that will help us, you know, uh, you know, give us those signals from frontline employees and, and be able to manage that a little bit more effectively. But it, it's really no replacement from for what Pam mentioned. Well, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions, again, will be forwarded to our speakers. And once again, we do hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey to provide your feedback. And with that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to ask, uh, I'm sorry, I'd like to thank Pam Woloski, Aaron Davis, everyone at Intellects, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day. Bye-bye.